All right, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 92. If you are looking at your bulletin or have looked at it and are looking at the daily Bible reading for this week, you'll notice that Psalm 92 is the daily Bible reading for today for the Old Testament book of Psalms. And so that's where we're going to be. Psalm 92, Old Testament, open to the middle of your Bible, you'll find the Psalms and then just flip back or forward to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, all right? And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can glean a few very important principles from this psalm. Psalm 92. Everybody have it? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, that as we look at your psalm this, this, this morning, that you would guide our thoughts, encourage our hearts, challenge us where we need to be challenged. And Father, may we be better for it. And uh, willing to honor you and glorify you, regardless of what we see happening in the world around us. Jesus, in your name we ask these things. Amen. All right, Psalm 92. I first, one of all, first of all, I want to give you some, uh, I want to give you some uh, guidelines. Um, so if you're going to be reading this psalm this week, I'm going to give you uh, four guidelines. Guideline number one is going to be choose a person in this psalm that you personally want to identify with. Choose a person in this psalm that you want to identify with. You have three persons to choose from. You have the psalmist himself who merely says me in verse 4, for you, Lord, have made me glad. And then you have in verse 6 a senseless man. Some of you might want to choose to identify with him. I'm being facetious when I say that. And a fool in verse 6 as well. So you have those three persons that you can choose from. And I'm assuming that most of us are going to look at this and say, well, I want to identify with the psalmist because that's where I stand. That's what I believe. And I want to honor the Lord just as he honored the Lord. Well, if you say that I fit best with the senseless man and the fool, then listen, that can change. That can change, and hopefully at the end of the message, you'll want to change that. But having said that, you can choose between one of two groups of people. The psalmist is going to be in the first group, and the senseless man and the fool are going to be in the second group. And the group of people that you can choose from is in verse 6, a senseless man does not know, nor does the fool understand, when the wicked... So the wicked is the first group. Oh, the, the psalmist is in the second group. The wicked is the first group. And the wicked is described as a worker of iniquity in verse 7. He's described as an enemy of the Lord in verse 9. And also in verse 9, he's described as an, in verse 9 and 10, he's described as an enemy of the righteous, which is the second group. So you can choose to be in that group. You know where the psalmist is. He's not in the wicked group. He's not an enemy of the Lord, and he's not an enemy of the righteous, and he's not a worker of iniquity. And the second group is the righteous in verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And I would assume that most of us want to choose that group to be in. Why do I ask you to choose a group or someone to identify with? Because you and I need to, and I hate to put it this way, but this is the best way I think that we'll understand it. You've got to jump into the account. 
You got to jump into the psalm and you got to say, I want this to be personal for me. I just don't want to read about something, but I want to be able to relate to it personally. And that's why you should choose someone in this psalm. The second one is an easy one. Always ask those six questions that we give to you to ask. And the first question is, is there some problem or some challenge for me to endure or some blessing to embrace? That's the first one. The second question is, or the second two questions are together, is there some attitude for me to change or sin for me to avoid? Uh, the third and fourth question, the third and fourth questions would be, is there some truth for me to believe or some promise to claim? And the fifth and sixth questions would be, is there some command for me to obey or some example for me to follow? Now, if you look at the very first one, why do I put that out for you? Because if you look at the very first one, whenever I read a psalm, I always read through the psalm first to see if there's a problem there that God wants me to deal with. And the problem in this particular psalm is that the wicked are making life difficult for the righteous. The wicked are making life difficult for the righteous. And he describes that in verse 11 with four or five simple words. These people rise, they, they rise up against me. Who rise up against me? And so you need to know what the setting of this passage of Scripture is. And number three, the third principle would be Always read through the passage of Scripture before you sit somewhere and think it through verse by verse. Now, we did that this morning. We put it up on the board so that you read it. And the reason why you need to read it is because you want to know what the main point of the passage of Scripture is. And the main point of this passage of Scripture clearly is going to be the works of God. Look at verse 2 and following. I'm, I'm excited, the psalmist says, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness every night. And notice what he says in verse 4. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hand. Verse 5. O Lord, how great are your works. And then he adds, your thoughts are very deep. And so when you read through the psalm, you're going to see that as the main point. This is all about God. It's all about God. And then when you look at the individual sections, you're going to discover as you examine them that this is all about the works of God in relationship to the people or the groups of people that we have just identified with. That's it. Those are the four guidelines I want to give you. And so as we start in verse 1, Let's look at this together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. He doesn't just say, give thanks to the Lord. That would be a command. He says, it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. And notice how he proceeds. He says, good thanks to the Lord. Thanks to the Lord leads to what? Singing praises to God. And singing praises to God and thanks leads to declaring his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness every night. And we do it with instruments. 
And I look at this and I say, well, this is a very typical worship service. It describes a typical worship service. And if you look at the heading of the psalm, Psalm 92, you'll see that it is a psalm, a psalm for the Sabbath day. But worship doesn't just begin and end on the Sabbath day. We do it every day of the week. You and I should get up in the morning, and you and I should be able to declare the loving kindness of God in the morning, verse 2. And we should at nighttime be able to declare His faithfulness at night. I anticipate His love and His kindness and His mercy and His grace throughout the day. Everybody knows we need it. And I am willing then at nighttime to declare that He was faithful in all of those things. But now he gives a reason why it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Now he has hinted to that in verse 2 when he said that God is loving and kind and he is faithful. He has hinted to that. But the big reason, the main reason is verse 4. And it begins with a little word, for you, Lord, have made me glad. It's good for give you thanks. Because you have made me glad. And we're in the Thanksgiving season. And we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving Day in a couple of weeks. And the thing about Thanksgiving Day is we should be able to sit down. And we should be able to fellowship together. And we should be able to do it. Even if it's limited. I don't know what your situation is going to be. But we should be able to do it because of gladness in our hearts. It's hard. You know, do you ever walk up to someone and say... are you very thankful? And he says, well, I'm thankful, but, but uh, I have tons of problems. You, you don't hear that, do you? You don't hear that because people don't equate thanksgiving with bad things. You know, if we have bad things happen and we overcome those bad things, then we equate thanksgiving with the good that has come out of the bad. And so the psalmist says, for you, Lord, have made me glad, and you have made me glad through your what? Your work. You have made me to triumph in the what? The works of your hands. I will overcome through the works of your hands. I will be thankful and be glad because of your work. And so it's... uh, it's, it's, it's amazing here uh, what the psalmist has been led under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do. Now, let me simply say this to you, that you can read this psalm through and you don't see any direct reference to the works of God. They're all indirect. But the psalmist comes with that frame of reference. And the psalmist doesn't come empty-handed. It's not the first time rodeo that he has been in. It's not the first time around the block. He knows an awful lot about the works of God. And if I would just give you a couple of examples of that, and notice I'm just going to give you a few, and I'm going to stay real close to the book of Psalms so that you will understand, uh, so that you can easily do this. But if you'll flip back, if you want to, flip back to Psalm 28. It's the first reference I've chosen, First Psalm 28, verses 3 through 5. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify the works of God. All right? What do the works of God include? Since there's no direct reference, they are indirect in this psalm. And he's assuming that this is not the first time you've been exposed 
to the truth of God's works. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil in, have evil in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds, according to their wickedness, according to their endeavors. Now notice, notice the little play on words here. He's talking about the deeds and the works of the wicked person. And notice what he says. He says, says he asks God to do. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of God. You have the works of men, but you don't regard the works of God. They do not regard the works of God, nor the operation of his hands. And so the reason why I'm sharing this particular passage of Scripture with you, because right off the bat, if I were to apply this this passage to you, I would say, listen, you and I have a choice every time we get up in the morning and every time we live our lives throughout the day. Our choice is to either focus on the works of God or focus on the works of man. You and I have a choice. If we focus on the works of man, we'll be depressed. That's the news. They can't, they can't be anything but depressing the news because they focus on the works of man, right? Micah says, listen, the day needs to come when we stop worshiping the works of man. Society does not talk about the works of the Lord. It's as simple as that. And we wonder why there is so much problem, so many problems uh, emotionally and, uh, and, uh, and mentally and sociologically. We don't focus on the works of God. And so we get to the place where we worship them. Is there, any, is there any work of man that you think is really that good that we should worship it? No, I, say, I guess that's a no, right? <laughs> well, let's continue. Go over to Psalm 66. Psalm 66 to get a better idea of uh, the works of God. And these are just principles for the most part. But in Psalm 66, I just want to re refer to a couple of uh, verses of Scripture. Psalm 66, verse 5 and 7. Uh, Come and see the works of God. You see that? Verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He is what? Everybody together. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. When did he do that? In the Exodus, right? And it's just one of many miracles that God describes uh, for us to recognize as his works. So the works of God include miracles. I can't stand it today when people say there's no miracles today. Not going to be any miracles. God performs miracles all the time. And he wants us to know that miracles, supernatural events that he performs are part of the works of his hands. And so uh, there's that passage of Scripture. In, uh, in Psalm 77, verses 11 through 12, and the real tragedy is only we only have a couple of verses, a couple more verses to give to you, but there's an awful lot that God says about His works. But in Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12, this is a passage of Scripture we looked at not too long ago. 
And it says that we are to what in verses 11 and 12? We are to remember the works of the Lord. We are to remember the wonders of old. The works of God are wonders. I will meditate on all your work and I will talk of all your deeds. And so he gives us a responsibility here. Something that we are supposed to do. Remember, meditate, and talk about the works of the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 104, pass Psalm 94 for just a second, and go to Psalm 102, just for another couple of verses. Psalm 102, and um, Psalm 102, verse 25 says, uh, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the what? Everybody together. The heavens are the work of your hands. The heaven and the earth. The heavens and the earth. The universe and the earth. The starry sky. Everything is a work of the Lord. And so you and I need to understand that creation is a work of the Lord. And providence is the work of the Lord. If you go to Psalm 104, all you have to do is read that psalm and take a little pen or a highlighter, and every time God does something, underline the word that describes what he does. If he makes something, if he creates something, if he causes something to happen, if he does this or he does that, underline those words, and you'll discover that everything that happens in the world of nature is a work of God. Anything else is surely an exception to the rule because it's a work of God. Now, I, I don't want to spend any more time on that. I want to keep going here, but I want to let you know that in Psalm 111, the Bible describes the works of God pretty much like the psalmist describes them here in verse 2. You don't have to turn there, but if you're there already, the works of the Lord are what? Great. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Verse 7, the works of his hand are verity and justice and on and on it goes, not just in this psalm, but throughout the psalms. And so, <clears throat> think about this. If I were to add all of those words to describe my responsibility to understand the works of God, I need to study them, I need to take pleasure in them, I need to meditate on them, I need to remember them, I need to talk about them. I need to declare them to other people. We need to change our thinking about what we do with the works of God in our day and age. I'm a firm believer that if we want to change our society, we got to really talk about the works of God. I've said this many times, maybe hundreds of times. You see why the theory of evolution is so important for the devil to try to foist upon our society. Because when one fell swoop, he's trying to get rid of the possibility that we would acknowledge God's work in any of his creation. Now, the devil knows better because he knows it's not true. He knows the theory of evolution is bunk. He knows it. And he will deeply pay for it because he is deceiving the rest of the world 
about that. And so I j- just keep that in mind. Now, Job, let me just use this as a quick illustration because we could go through the Psalms and we could say, well, what do I do when I'm depressed and I don't have that gladness that I'm supposed to have and I, I don't have a very thankful heart? What am I supposed to do when I'm overwhelmed with the circumstances of life? What am I supposed to do in situations like that? Well, do you want a list of the Psalms that tells you to meditate on the works of God and study the works of God? Or can I give you just one illustration? How about Job? Job's three friends try to come and console him, and that doesn't work. And then he has another guy come and and try to console him. And then finally God shows up and says, listen... Let me help you out, Job. And what does the Bible say that God does with Job? In chapter 37, verses 14 and following, and you can just write it down, look at it later if you want to. But it says, listen to this, O Job, and stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Now that's the preface. That's the preface And then God himself spends chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42 describing his wonderful works. Do you think it helped Job? It did. It did. And Job repented of his bitterness, and he repented of his sharp tongue, and he repented of the things that He had done, even though he hadn't lost his faith, it did him a world of good to study the works of God. Listen, it's important for you and I to acknowledge and attribute to God all of the works of nature. It is important for you and I to include his miracles as his works. And you and I need to study and remember what God does because we are surrounded by by his works. Take a look at verse 4 once more. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your works. He doesn't stop there, but he says, I will triumph in the works of your hands. Now, I don't know if you know anything about foreign languages, but when you see those kinds of words and uh, you look at them, prepositions, and you look at those and you say, Okay, if I see the word in, what am I supposed to think? Well, I'm supposed to think that I'm in. And I can illustrate it very easily. I'm I'm either in a house, as an illustration. I'm in a field, which means that the house has surrounded me. The field has surrounded me. And so it's important for you and I to understand that we are surrounded by the works of God. Totally surrounded Now, I don't know if you understand how that should feel or not, but let me give you two illustrations, one that I've used many times. But think of the boy who's standing on the hill with his grandfather, and he looks at his grandfather, and he says to his grandfather, does God love everything to the the north of us? And And granddad says, yes. Everything to the the west of us, yes. Everything to the east of us, yes. Does God love everything to the south of us? And granddad says, yes. And then he looked at his granddad and said, well, that must mean then that we are in the center of God's love. Don't you have a certain feeling about that? 
We are surrounded by the works of God. Or, or maybe, maybe this one's better. It's more on the negative side, but it's good too. You have the general who's standing on a hill, and he's standing with one of his best commanding officers. And the, he looks at his commanding officer, and he says, he says where is the enemy? And uh, he says, well, the enemy's out there, and he didn't want to say anything right away. And the, and the general said, well, is, the, is the enemy in front of us? Yes, the enemy's in front of us. Is the enemy behind us? Yes, the enemy's behind us. Is the enemy on the right of, or on the left of us? Yes. Is the enemy on the right of us? Yes. And the general looks at his commanding an officer and says, well, that's good then. They won't get away this time. Now, I don't know. Maybe that does it better for you. But you and I are surrounded by the works of God. And the psalmist understands that. And that's why he says, and let's all repeat it together now. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your hands because I am surrounded, totally surrounded by your works. Now, we don't have time to go through this rest of this psalm detail by detail, but I do want you to understand the sense of this. And the sense of this is that when we get to verse 5, he says, Your words are great, your works are great, and the thoughts behind your works are very deep. He has already said God is high above everything. Now he says that his thoughts are very, very deep. And he says, People who are fools... People who have no sense about them don't understand that when they spring up like grass, it's for their destruction. Now, that's the work of God. I hate to use this illustration because it's the exact opposite of what I would like to use, but I think you would understand this because a lot of people would say, oh, that doesn't even make sense. A senseless man is going to say that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that the grass is growing for the purpose of being destroyed. I know of a philosophy out there, a philosophy out there that's ungodly, that's allowing babies to grow only to be destroyed. But that's not God. God is a a God of justice. And because of justice, he wants us to understand that if the wicked want to worship the works of their hands, they will be like grass that will be destroyed and their destruction will be forever. If they seem to flourish, it's for the purpose of them ending up in a dead-end street. Do you see that? It's important for us to understand that. And a senseless man doesn't realize that. And a fool doesn't understand that. But in verses 8 and 9, he says, You, Lord, are on high forevermore. Behold your enemies. Behold your enemies shall perish and all the workers of iniquity. But me, look at verse 10. But me, my horn, which means my power and my influence, you have exalted like a wild ox. And I have been anointed with fresh oil. And I will see my desire on my enemies, and my ear will hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. And then finally, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, because he has just described the wicked, that group of people, as grass. How does he describe the righteous? Does he describe the righteous as grass? I get my lawnmower out, 
and I cut my grass, but I don't run it through the grove and cut the trees down. And that's the point he's making here. The grass doesn't last very long. It flourishes for a short period of time. But if I am part of the righteous, I'm going to flourish not like grass, but I'm going to flourish like a palm tree. You, you know, some of you probably wonder, why we have palm trees in here? <laughs> Do any, any of you ever walk in here and say, how come they got palm trees up there? You know why? Psalm 92 is the reason. Now, the children of Israel, when they built the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle and built the temple, they were to have palm trees as part of the decor in the tabernacle and the temple engraved on the, um, on the material. And it was for the reason that Psalm 92 gives to us. Palm trees represent flourishing. Uh, they last a long time. Uh, will grow like the cedars in Lebanon who are planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of our God and will bear fruit in old age and will be refreshed and flourishing so that ultimately we can declare that the Lord is upright, that there is no unrighteousness in Him. And I want to say this to you because the application is at the beginning. You and I need to figure out how to give thanks. And the only way we're going to learn how to give thanks to the Lord with glad hearts is to, is to understand His works. But it should lead us then to declare that the Lord is upright and He's, he's not unrighteousness, and unrighteous in anything He does. He's always right in everything He does. So, let me apply it real quick. How many of you are familiar with this hymn, We Plow the Fields and Scatter? It's not in our hymn book. It's not in a lot of hymn books, but it was in hymn books years and years ago. It's called, We Plow the Fields and Scatter, and it goes like this. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the ground. How many, how many think they know that song now? You don't know it at all, huh? Yeah, some, some may be thinking that. Maybe I do know that a little bit. But anyway, I want to look at a second stanza for you. It's a Thanksgiving number. He only, we plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the ground, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain, the breezes and the sunshine and soft, refreshing rain. And then the chorus, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord for all his love. Second stanza, he only is the maker of all things near and far. He paints the wayside flowers. He lights the evening star. The winds and waves obey him. By him the birds are fed. Much more to us, his children, he gives our daily bread. We thank thee then, O Father, for all things bright and good, the seed time and the harvest, our life, our health, our food. Accept the gifts we offer for all thy love imparts and what thou most desirest, our humble, thankful hearts. Uh, he must have read uh, Psalm 92 when he was inspired to write this psalm. But I'll tell you else who must have uh, must have been inspired by Psalm 92. Oh, but there are others. Uh, psalms are filled with psalms like this. But, but great is thy faithfulness, all right? He must have also read Psalm 92. The second stanza, the first stanza is very good, we know it. Second stanza, summer and winter and springtime and harvest. 
sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see, as loving kindness is mercy. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Now, you want to really be glad this Thanksgiving? (laughs) Spend some time studying the precious works of God. Take pleasure in them. Don't waste your time. Let's not waste our time on the works of man. Let's not waste our time on that. All right? There's a place for it. And God tells us how we're to look at all of that. But let's spend our time thinking, remembering, meditating, and declaring the works of God. Now, I don't know where you chose to be in those groups of people, but I'm almost certain that nobody chose to be in the group of the wicked. But I don't know. After hearing the sermon, you may say, oh, I, I should have been the senseless man or the fool. That can all change. That can all change. You can change from one group to another. If you don't want to be in the group of the wicked, you can be in the group of the righteous. Just acknowledge the truth of God's word. Acknowledge the fact, and God, and God made it even clear in the Old Testament that it isn't by our own works of righteousness. It's by his work of grace in the coming Messiah to the psalmist. Trust Christ. You'll go real quick from the group of the wicked to the group of the righteous. I wish there was another group here that I could put you in, but we're in one or the other. But will you come to Christ? Let's all stand together.